Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Gila Glassberg, I'm registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And tonight I have with me Rena Deitch. And hey. if you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live and what do you do? Um, okay. So my name is Rena Deutsch. I live in Toronto and I, uh, what do I do? I do a lot of different things. Thank God. Um, I am a makeup artist. I do weddings and bar mitzvahs and events and that sort of thing. I'm also a Judaic studies teacher at the B'nai Kiva high school here, the girls school. And I also just recently became a college teacher. Wow. So yeah, thank God. Like that's, that's basically what I do. Makeup and Jewish education. <laughs> Wow, that's a that's a unique um, combination of things. It is, and it's funny because I actually got into Jewish education through the makeup, um, because I was doing um, I was doing makeup for somebody, and I am a very talkative person. So as I do people's makeup, but very often we schmooze. And one of my favorite topics in the whole wide world is uh, Torah and God and self-improvement and all, all those things that are connected to each other. And so this one particular client, I was talking to her a lot about this, uh, these topics. And she looked at me, she's like, Oh, I want you to go on a trip. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Cause I'm also a chronic people pleaser. So I was like, okay, no problem. Um, and I went on her trip. I was, uh, it was the first time I was able to thank God be, um, a city leader or community leader for the JWRP now momentum mm -hmm. trips. And through that, I ended up getting into informal Jewish education and I ended up working at NCSY for a few years. And then I ended up in the classroom and like, so makeup carried me to where I am right now, which is very, very interesting. That is really, really cool. Wow. That's like such a cool story. I guess you kind of like followed your passion. Um, yeah, I followed my passion and I've been trying also to, to like sort of read the, the signs and follow the path that I feel is being, you know, laid out in front of me. Wow. Did you grow up religious? I did. I did. I grew up religious. Um, I, I feel like I went through a few years where I um, was, you know, probably what you would call rebellious, mm -hmm. um, probably between like 13 and 15, on and off. Um, but I did. I did grow up in a religious home. Um, I have a religious background. And um, thank God it's, it's working out. You grew up in Toronto? I did. Wow. And you're still there. Still here. Yeah, yeah. we're still kicking it. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I know. A lot of us were rebellious teens, but we put it, yeah. be put it behind us. We, we, it made us stronger. <laughs> stronger. Right. A hundred percent. I think that um, everybody's got a different path right? Everybody walks along a different path for whatever reason. Mine was what it was, but I don't look back on it with any regrets at this. Maybe a little embarrassment. I will definitely say a little bit of embarrassment, but not so much regret because um, thank God, really, I'm very good with where I am now. And um, I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know if I would be where I am now if I hadn't followed the path that I did, right? So I can't look back on anything and regret it if it led me to where I am now. I, again, I could look back and be a little, a little embarrassed, but regret is not something that I'm, I'm going to do for that. We're all a little bit embarrassed of our teenage years, but that's okay. Oh it's all good. Yeah. It should never be any worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you ever read the book, The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin? Mm, I have not. Okay. So she talks about like the different tendencies and one of them is a rebel. Mm -hmm. and the rebel like it's it's really only having to do with expectations the whole book whatever mm -hmm. going off on a tangent but basically the rebel like has a hard time with internal expectations and external expectations but mm -hmm. she's like also saying like the pros and cons of being a rebel because like the rebels are like the people that like uprooted things that shouldn't have been or like went against the tides and like you know produced like the best things in the world so well that is very interesting it's funny my mother always uh my mother always said to me She's a phenomenal woman, my mother. I owe a lot to her. And um, she was a Baal's Tshuva. And I think that she sort of felt like when she was raising me that she taught me too much to think for myself. Um, and she said that she always felt like that made things more difficult for me. 
And um, I told her, you know, now looking back as an adult, I'm like, no, thank you so much that you taught me to think for myself because um, I don't mind, you know, sometimes bucking the system when I think there's something that's a little questionable about it or whatever. And I've really worked and been able to find my own path, which I don't know if I would have done if I hadn't been given that no think for yourself and, and uh, you know, consider different options and chase down different ideas and see what you come up with. Um, so maybe that, that tendency of being a rebel is sort of something that come by kind of naturally. Yeah, it's actually interesting because like, like we were talking about before we started recording. So I do something called intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. And um, what I do with my clients is I try to get them to understand like the belief system that they've kind of like adopted by osmosis because if you live like in the world in 2020 it is what it is like most of the world is like stuck in diet culture like probably 90 percent of people are talking about like how fat they are how uncomfortable they are with their body whether they're thin or not so it's like i ask them to think about like when did that start for you and like has that been serving you? And obviously it hasn't been, everybody will say it hasn't, but like, it's interesting because a lot of times we just pick up like belief systems or ideas and we just believe them to be true. And like, that is something that we believe is important in like the Jewish faith because we want our kids to like pick up Judaism by osmosis, but we do also like value questioning and, you know, like thinking outside of the box because otherwise you're just sort of like a robot. 100%. And we're coming up now on, on Pesach very shortly. And, and that's all about questions, right? It circles around the four questions. And I understand that they're questions that have prescribed answers. But I think that's actually one of the coolest things about Judaism, in my opinion, is um, that it's okay to have questions because really we do have a lot of answers, um, if not all of them. I think we have all of them, but um, certainly you can say a lot. And with the concept of Shivan Panim La Torah, that there are 70 faces to the Torah, there is a place that everyone can find themselves and you can, you know, okay, so um, if, if this idea doesn't resonate with you or this shita, this, you know, particular path, well, guess what? There are 69 others. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater um, just because this one particular one isn't really speaking to you. Um, and I think that that's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. And like, I remember when I was, I went, when I was in high school, I won't say where I went to high school, but I was very like, um, uninspired I'll say <laughs> and um, I remember having like this one teacher who like made like Jewish studies like so like exciting and so like any like any question was welcome and I was like so that was like my first um, I think it was in 12th grade that was like my first experience with like Judaism being like allowed to ask or like getting really curious or like that being welcomed and um, like and then I went to Tomer Devorah for seminary and like oh, nice yeah, they also like totally welcomed that. And like, I was able to like grow so much and I, I kind of like miss it because like as an adult, I feel like we do like conform a lot and that's really hard for like, I guess, out of the box thinkers. Yeah, it can be. But I think that it's, um, as an adult, it's like more difficult to carve your space out, but, um, but it's, it can be done. It can, it is a little bit more, you're right. It is a little bit more difficult, but it can be done. Yeah. yeah so so something that like really stuck out to me was um i heard your record your interview with um soul sessions right yeah with karen and, yeah. yeah with karen which was amazing and i actually i i listened to a lot of different podcasts and i actually met karen at the Kavana conference and she's like so sweet mm -hmm. and i it was like on my to-do list to subscribe to her podcast but like i was so backlogged with the other podcasts that i listened to but then i totally understand yeah, but then with Corona, like my to-do list of listening to things has, I guess that's one good thing. Um, so I was looking for something else to listen to while I folded like, um, I don't know if you could say like a pile of laundry. It was more like a mountain of laundry. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. And um, I heard your interview with Karen and it was, it was like the first half was like very like beautiful and nice and calm. And then I started to hear your story and um, I'm going to ask you to share it, but I just like, I was so moved because like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's just me, but just as a community, I feel like it is very hard to be like vulnerable and open and we're scared of judgment. And like, when we're a little bit outside of the box, like it kind of like creates this like uncomfortable, I don't know, like this uncomfortable, like 
I don't know, on unknown territory that we are all sort of like questioning. And as I was saying before, I like started to blog for Project Proactive and I'll, I talk about like feeling really anxious or feeling really depressed or like different things have happened in my life. And like, I feel like that's a little bit out of the box for my community, but like, I also feel like it's really important for people to know like we're human. So sure. I just, yeah, I wanted you to know that. And if you could share with us like the story that you like about your husband, if you're comfortable. Um, yeah, sure. Um, and, and just to speak to the idea of it being out of the box, um, feelings of, you know, anxiety or depression or that sort of thing. I think, um, I think it's a lot more in the box than we think, but I think it's so deep inside the box that, uh, that nobody lets it out. And I think if it was allowed to be outside the box, um, like more figuratively, if it was allowed to be outside the box, um, it would really help our community in a big, big way. So I think being open and being vulnerable about these sorts of things in like a real way, right? You could still see that you're obviously like you're a successful and, and competent and functioning human being. It doesn't mean that you can't have feelings that sometimes are really challenging and difficult, but you, you know, you see that you manage with them. And I think it's really important for people to see that so that we can destigmatize it and we can turn it into something that people can talk about so that they can learn to not just survive through their life, but they can find a way to thrive um, no matter what they're facing. I think that that's so, so good for you for doing that. Really, that's amazing. Um, and Project Proactive is, a, is an incredible organization. I'm, I, I think they're great. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so our story, our fun little story um, about, uh, I think we're coming up on 10 years ago, uh, my husband woke up one morning and was feeling like numb and tingly from his waist down. Um, you don't really know my husband, but I do. And he's like the kind of guy who's like, whatever, if you have something wrong, you just, you walk it off. Right. Or, you know, you put duct tape on it and then you're fine. Um, so for about a week, a week and a half, he's walking around, he's feeling a little funny, but he doesn't, he didn't really want to do anything about it. Um, finally I convinced him like, maybe you should go to the doctor and get that checked out. Uh, he didn't actually have a family doctor cause his had retired and he was like, Oh, I don't need a family doctor. So he went to a walking clinic and, um, and went to see the doctor there and the doctor's like, Oh, that's a little weird. Why don't we send you for an x-ray of your spine, your lower back? Maybe you slipped a disc or something. So he went and he did that and um and nothing showed up on the x-ray so the doctor said okay you know what like let's see give it another few days if it doesn't go away i'll give you a referral to a neurologist so it didn't go away he gets the referral to the neurologist um and we went to see the neurologist after like wasn't really such a long time um because my husband's very persistent he called uh he called the office and he was like sweet talking the the um, receptionist for such a long time she put him on hold for a minute and then she came back she's like actually we just had an opening for next week <laughs> so um yeah that worked out really well for him um anyways so we went to see the neurologist and he said okay i'd like to book an mri for you just so we could rule out things like you know transverse myelitis this that and the other and multiple sclerosis and blah 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 blah, blah. and he listed like 10 different things um so of course as the highly intelligent people that we are, the first thing that we did when we got home was we Googled every single thing that he said. Mm -hmm. And um, it was probably the most terrifying three hours of our lives because I, some of them were like pretty benign. And then a lot of them were like really bad. And I would say that chances are um, at the top of uh, certainly my husband's list of what the worst possible outcome could be uh, was, was definitely MS um, because it's chronic and you, there's, you know, there's not so much they know about it. There's not so much you can do about it. And, um, okay, fine. So we, um, we live in Canada we have a socialized healthcare system, which and on the one hand is really, really wonderful, but wait times for certain things like MRIs can be very, very long. So we tried to book an appointment. This was in May and they were saying, oh, well, we don't have anything until the end of August, maybe the beginning of September. And we were thinking like three months is just way too long to wait and figure out what's going on. So we booked an appointment for an MRI clinic in Buffalo and, uh, and drove there to get it done instead. Now, um, we, went, we went for the, for the MRI and probably about a week later, the neurologist's office called us and said, you know, we, we got your results. Um, would you, can you make an appointment to come see the doctor? And my husband is not always known for his like 
patience when it comes to big things. So he's like, could you just tell me now over the phone? And she said, no, sir, I'm really, I'm sorry. I'm really not allowed to do that. He said, well, what if I wanted to come and pick up the report so I could take it to my own doctor? She was like, well, yes, I guess you could do that. So he drove down to the office and he picked up the report, a copy of the report. Um, and he read through it and it said that the findings were consistent with multiple sclerosis. Um, I was in, uh, I was in makeup and aesthetic school at the time and he called me up. I was doing my clinic hours, um, like in the student clinic there. And he's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta come out of school. Like I need you now. Or actually I think he called and left a message, but because I was in the clinic, like I didn't answer my phone and he just showed up at the door and was knocking on the door and everyone's like, your husband's here. I'm like, Oh, that's a little weird. Um, so he came and he, he showed me the report and he told me, and we were both like completely shaken. I think, I, I don't know if we were in denial or we were just trying to be very optimistic and hoping for the best. And this was definitely not the best. Um, so we went for, I, I took the rest of the day off school and we went for a drive and we ended up in a little plaza in our neighborhood where there was a, like a bakery. We figured we'd stop and get something to eat and we pull into the plaza and who pulls up right next to us, but his mother, okay? And she was like, why aren't you at work? And why aren't you at school? So she knew something was up. And like, this was not something where we could just like, you know, gloss it over or make something up. So my husband just sort of like handed her the report through the car window. And um, instead of flipping out the way we thought that she would, she was like, okay, you'll just call Daniel. And we're like, Daniel? So her first cousin, who we, we knew pretty well, um, Dr. Daniel Sulchin, actually ran or still runs the MS clinic at St. Mike's Hospital, which is one of the biggest um, hospitals in Toronto. And they actually are sort of like uh, a, a big MS center for research and treatment in Canada. And Abby's cousin just happened, you know, to run the, the clinic there. So we gave him a call. And we were able to sort of expedite the entire process because, like I said, socialized healthcare it could have been months till we would be able to get in to see a specialist. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank God, because of because of the connections, we were able to get in um, and and get to see a doctor. And um, it was a really weird sort of uh, conversation or meeting with the doctor, where we go in and like you know your your sort of expectations are like, okay, fine, I'm going in now to see the specialist, the person who is you know this is their their specialty and you sit down in front of the, the doctor and you're like okay so so what can you tell us and he's like well I could tell you that you might have symptoms like this and you might have symptoms like that and you might have symptoms like this and you also might have symptoms like that and sometimes this treatment works for some people and sometimes that treatment works for some people and sometimes that treatment works for some people but really we don't know anything about this and have fun wow <laughs> um so that was that was essentially <laughs> how our first appointment went. Um, he, you know, he, he wasn't trying to be mean. He was really just trying to be very honest with us. Um, and he was like one of those really old school doctors where bedside manner was perhaps not on the top of his list. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, you know, like it's, it's an autoimmune disorder. We don't really know so much about it. Um, there are certain disease modifying drugs that are out there that can sort of help um, stave off symptoms. We can treat certain symptoms, but we haven't, there's no cure. We don't know anything to do to reverse or to stop the process. And, um, and it was, that was, it was a lot to deal with. It was a lot to deal with. Now, on top of all this, um, on top of all of this, uh, the week that we went to go get Avi's MRI in, um, in Buffalo, the week before, sorry, a week before, um, I had had a miscarriage and <laughs> listen, when it, when it rains, it pours. Yeah. Right. Um, so I had a, I had had a miscarriage and, um, and you know, we were sort of like just in the throes of kind of dealing with that when we, when we went for the MRI and we got all the results and it was just like a very, very emotional and tumultuous time for us. Um, as anybody who's ever been, diagnosed with a chronic illness knows there is a very deep sense of loss and grief that comes along with it. So the five stages of, um, the five stages of dealing with a loss, um, were, we, we definitely went through all of them, you know, um, bargaining, depression, acceptance, 
Um, I can't remember them in order right now because my brain is almost completely turned off at this stage in the game. <laughs> but, um, but the funny thing was is that it was very rare that we were in the same stage at the same time. So, um, you know, while he was, let's say depressed, so I'm bargaining, I'm like, well, I will find, I, I had a good friend who was a holistic nutritionist. I'm like, give me every single protocol you have. What should he be eating? What should he not be eating? Give me a Bach remedy. Give me a this, like, what, what do you need me to do? Are there chakras that we can align? Like, tell me anything, right? What if we see this doctor? Or what if we go to the da that doctor? Or what if I say 7,000 proximates to hell in a day? Like, how about, we'll, we'll figure it out, right? Like bargaining with God. Like, I will do anything that you want as long as you heal him. And, and, and he's, you know, depressed. Then comes to a certain point where you know, I'm angry, right? Because, and, and well, so this is fun. I'm angry and then also feeling a little guilty all at the same time. Cause like to a certain stage, to a certain extent, I'm like, well, but like, I didn't, you know, I didn't really sign up for this, but then, but oh, well, hold on a second. Like he's my, and he's sick and it's not me. And right. There are like a lot of conflicting emotions going on while he, so I'm angry and, and feeling a little guilty while he's decided like, you know what, actually maybe it's okay. Maybe we'll be able to deal with it. Maybe if it, right. And we're going back and forth between the different five stages all at different times. And instead of communicating well, we were just sort of so caught up in our own thoughts and our own feelings that we sort of lost each other for a little while. I mean, not that we lost each other really, but we were, we were still together and we were still, we, we sort of thought that we were pretty good or okay. Um, but we weren't really doing great um now in all of this which you know maybe was crazy but seemed to, to both of us right at the time um not not immediately after but a few months later um i did get pregnant again Baruch Hashem, and and that baby is now uh almost nine years old and she's yeah. quite wonderful and amazing mm -hmm. um but i'm not sure uh, that throwing like postpartum hormones into the mix was necessarily the world's best idea. Um, although it was something that we had discussed. Um, and um, certainly after the diagnosis, Avi was not up for anything like that for, for a while. And then one day he looked at me, he's like, you know what, I'm not going to let this get me down. If we were planning on having a fifth child, then let's do this. And like, let, let, let's keep living our lives. Mm -hmm. um, but about a year after Eliana was born, um, I remember distinctly we were getting ready for Shavuos and I can't remember what exactly happened, but we got into this massive fight and we were, we were a normal couple. We've always like argued or bickered or whatever you want to call it, but we never like fought, fought like we were like screaming at each other and like whatever. And we were standing in the kitchen and we were yelling at each other and this whole crazy thing. And finally he just got so fed up. He's like, I'm taking out the garbage and he walked out the door and he slammed it behind him. And, it was like awful. That Yansef was terrible. We literally sat in silence at the table. Like we didn't look at each other. We didn't talk to each other. It was so uncomfortable. And after Yansef, uh, we kind of turned to each other. And we're like, okay, something's got to give here. And we got a babysitter because we had four, you know, four, five, no, five, five little kids at, at home at the time. And, um, and we went for a walk. And I think we walked for like four and a half hours like in circles around our neighborhood and we just like let it all out every every anger depression bargaining acceptance like every single feeling every single thing that we had gone through every thought that had run through our heads um over the last you know year and a half finally came tumbling out and we managed to to open up to each other enough to be able to say okay listen you're gonna have your feelings about things and i'm gonna have my feelings about things like um, you know, something that makes perfectly good sense, but it's not always easy to hear as a support person is, okay, like, I know you're trying to help and you're being really wonderful, but you don't understand, right? At the end of the day, I, thank God, I don't have MS and I don't know what it is to either feel numb and tingly from the waist down, um, you know, for six weeks on end, or, you know, as he's had other issues, you know, come up where he's not really sure a hundred percent where his hand is. So like, he can't get his food into his mouth properly. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. I can try to imagine it and I can be very empathetic and be there for him in whatever way he wants, but he's right. Like, I don't understand that. And then, you know, I would be upset. Well, you don't understand how hard I'm trying mm -hmm. to be there for you. I don't, you, you know, all right. these sorts of things. And there were all these things that just finally came bubbling to the top and we were able to, 
to look at each other and be like, okay, you know, um, it's all right for you to feel like I won't understand. You're right. And I feel bad that I won't, but by the same token, like I can only be there for you as much as I can be there for you and as much as you'll let me be there for you. Right. So, you know, we were able to work past that. And then, you know, my own feelings of insecurity of like, am I going to be a good enough wife? Am I going to be a good enough support? Am I like, can I, can I handle this? Can I do this? All sorts of things. You know, he, I was able to voice those things to him, which I kept to myself, right? I'm not going to go to turn to my husband, Nabakusuk, and be like, honey, I don't know if I can deal with this. Like, he doesn't need to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And yet we came to a place where we could deal with both of each other's difficult emotions. Um, you know, nothing is, nothing is not discussable. That's not a word. Um, <laughs> but nothing is off the table for discussion um, mm-hmm. anymore. And I think that that's, that's helped us sort of come to a place where, you know, we can really be open and honest and really now take care of each other back and forth um, in a way that's really helped us get through the last 10 years. Um, Baruch Hashem, I think wow. we're doing pretty okay. Wow. Yeah, definitely. That's, a, that's quite a story. <laughs> yeah. Hi, <laughs> <Thank> God. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing it. Um, like, I don't know, it's just like so moving. I heard it on the, I heard a lot of that story on um, the other podcast, but it's just like very powerful that like you're so open and that you're so like honest with like, like feeling guilty that like, that like, that it's hard for you, you know, like being honest about that, like, you know, like we, it's so hard to be there for other people, but it's also hard for us. Like when, when other people are going through stuff, like it impacts us, it affects us. And I think that a lot of times when people are going through, like, I know there are people who like, who like a mother gets sick or somebody in the family gets sick and they're very like hush hush about it and no judgment at all. But I just feel like it's so burdensome and painful to, to not talk about it. But at the same time, like I, I I actually have a friend who like, a few months after her wedding she was diagnosed with cancer mm. and um yeah and, and I remember when she told me it was like a few months later and she's like it's so hard to tell people because when I tell them I have to be their therapist like they're looking at me like oh my god what are you gonna do like <laughs> and you're like well <laughs> right and you're like uh-huh right so it's okay and then she's like comforting them so like I get like why it's so hard to like tell people but like the same it's just like I don't know how do you have like the how do you have like the like strength to talk about it like so openly um I don't know it doesn't feel strong to me to be honest like it just feels normal um I remember when we when we first found out so we obviously we told our immediate family and we told like we didn't just like you know put a take a an ad out in the newspaper right Mm -hmm. well we told people we were we were open about it we weren't hiding it and there but there were certain people that we called earlier on and I remember speaking to one person in particular and she said to me she said why are you telling people I said what do you mean why are we telling people she's like like gonna ruin your shidduchim for your children and it's gonna like aren't you embarrassed I was like, okay, hold up a second. It's not an STD. Like right. you didn't do anything wrong. It's I'm right. not embarrassed that he has it. And I said, and I said to her, honestly, I'm like, if somebody's, I said, first off, there's no genetic link um, right. with, with MS anyways. And I said, but like, if there's somebody who doesn't want to marry one of my kids because they don't like the fact that their dad, father is ill, like, or has a chronic illness, I'm not really sure I want my kid marrying that kid anyway. Like I don't, I, it's not ruining. It's so unimportant, anyways. Right. I'm like, I don't think that that's ruining the shidduch um, thing for them. I think maybe it's weeding out the people that we don't want faster. Right. Right. Um, that's fine with me. But she, like, I was, I was so taken aback by her response. Like, it, it wasn't sympathetic. It wasn't empathetic. It wasn't kind or caring or even like, oh, I'm really sorry. Okay, but I gotta go. It was like literally, why are you telling me? And I'm like, um, because I thought that you might be emotional support for me. Whoops. Sorry. Right. 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 Totally. And I, yeah, I guess like we were talking about this before, but like on the one hand, it's like, it, it is like, like, even like on social media, it's like such a question now, like we want to be like open and honest and vulnerable, but we don't like want to overshare. Right. You know I mean, so like, I remember when I was, I posted something on WhatsApp. So I talk about like my disordered eating when I was a teenager and like somebody wrote to me, she's like, I think you're being a little too open. And I was like, this is like my career, like my whole career, like rides on like 
me going through this experience and like my clients relating to that. So like, I don't think I'm being too open. And I know, I do know that people are like nervous about it. That's why it's like so hard to be like, I don't know, maybe just for like creative people or like open people, it's hard to be like in the bub in a bubble of a community because like we, it, I get the whole like social conformity and norms in a certain, to a certain extent, but like at the other, on the other hand like I'm sure sharing your story in a way is like very like liberating or like comforting because because like we said before like it's helping so many people because you're being like vulnerable so I think that that's exactly the thing is that um you know how like you're allowed to speak Lush and Hara if it's Lato Ellis if there's a specific purpose and it's really it's actually to help somebody right and not only you don't even have to wait for somebody to come and ask you. You're allowed to proactively go and tell somebody something if you know it's like very, very important and will save them from, from any serious damage, physical, emotional, um, financial, right? So to me, that's the same thing. Like I'm not running around telling my story for sensationalism mm -hmm. and I'm not telling it to say like, oh, look at us, we're so amazing. I don't think we are. I think we're pretty normal. Mm -hmm. But what I think is that, and, and I saw it happen, that because we were open about it, we were able to help other people. Um, and over the you know the past ten years, we've had at least three or four people who have contacted us and said, "I was just diagnosed with MS, and I don't know you, but my friend heard about you guys, and they said that I could come and talk to you." Mm -hmm. And we were like, "Of course you can!" And we'll sit down with a couple. And um, you know, when when Avi was initially diagnosed, we didn't really know anybody who had MS, it wasn't something that we could sit and talk to anybody about. And um, even just, like, it's not necessarily that we have any good advice of like, oh yes, you should try this medication or you should try that medication, but like you could talk to somebody who knows the position that you're in. So Avi can talk to the person who was diagnosed and I can talk to the spouse, right? We both understand what, you know, the people are going through and, and how complicated it is in so many different ways. Um, we can give them our own anecdotal advice of like, okay, like we do not, obviously we're, we're not doctors. We don't even play doctors on TV. Like we, we don't give out medical advice, but Avi could say, well, okay, you know, I tried this medication. Like people will come and be like, so my doctor suggested that I try this. And he's like, oh, I, I did that. Um, it was good. I, it, I didn't have a lot of side effects from it. I was on it for seven years and everything was great. And then I had to change it. But if it'll work for you and you could be on it for seven years, that's a great thing. You know, it's whatever. Or um, yeah, you know, if your doctor thinks that's good, that's fine. I had these, you know, these side effects, so just keep an eye open for them, but they're, they're really manageable. It makes it sound so scary. It wasn't so bad. Like, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We can talk to, the, to them about that kind of stuff. And I can talk to the support person and be like, listen, it's, it's hard and I feel you, but like we, we can be strong together and you can find a way through this and, 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 and you can feel however you feel you can be really, really freaked out right now and be like, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know. Did I sign up for this? I'm not sure if I signed up for this. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and work through those emotions. I think that, that, um, when we're, I think more often than not, if we're allowed to feel certain things, right. We can, we can actually most of the time deal with it when we're trying to suppress it all the time, because it's trying to fight to get out so hard. That's when you can't deal with it. And that's when we like kind of crack and lose it and, and can't manage things. But was it Mr. Rogers who had that saying, like anything that can be discussed or was it Brinia Brown? I can't remember, but something like anything that can be spoken about, right? Anything that can be discussed can be managed. Mm -hmm. right? And the yeah. things that we can't talk about, those are the things we can't manage. Yeah. So I like do this with my clients a lot, like feel, deal, heal. So I've learned this from like a bunch of my mentors, like Rena Reiser, Parallel Abramowitz, but um, like, Parallel, somebody who had had mentored me in the past, she said like, pain is sort of like a you. So like, unless we re reach the bottom, we can't really come to the top. And it's like just always stuck in my head, like, like things are really painful, like in life, like we and our emotions are like really strong. Um, also a really good book. I just read the highly sensitive person, so I identify with that book a lot. And uh, whatever you could look it up. And I I wrote a blog post on a, a bunch of um book recommendations, but um. But yeah, it's just like some, especially like in really like traumatic situations, like our feelings are like so strong, like they're so powerful and like they do feel like they're taking us over. And like, I do think that, I talk about this a lot also, but like, did, did you ever hear of Dr. Sarno? Mm, not sure if I have. He wrote the book Healing Back Pain. Okay. 
Okay, so basically he says that um, basically like he was working in the field for many years and he found that like traditionally treating back pain wasn't working, like the traditional methods of like shots and um, sur even surgery. And so he conducted this research and he found that like a, a lot of times uh, people who are experiencing back pain, it was because of emotional things that they were holding in their body that they hadn't processed. And um, the reason that this was able to like happen, your body's so amazing is because um, there's like this blood vessel that runs through your back that when it constricts, it causes pain, but it doesn't cause permanent nerve damage. So that's like sort of like your body's like smoke alarm telling you like, do something, do something, something's going on, something's not right, but it's not causing you permanent nerve damage because it's just to get you to like do something. And like he actually had like a lot of like um, rape victims that had never processed that pain. And um, it is, it's like very powerful, like to like allow yourself to like be angry at God or like question him. Like, I don't know, just like, especially right now with like Corona going on, like, there's big problems and there's little problems, but really like everything is painful to whoever it is. And like, we have to be able to like feel that pain and process that pain and talk about that pain and like validate that pain. Cause like feelings, they don't make really sense, but like emotions don't have to make sense. We just have to let them in. 100%, 100%. The, the things that we, the things that we stuff down are ultimately, I think, the things that hold us down with them, right? They're like, you're not going to let me out. Or I'm not going to let you out either. Right. right? You're going to be stuck in here with me if you won't let me out. Right. And I think that for, for whatever reason, um, we've sort of just decided as a society in general, right? We've put this, and it's really interesting, we've put this like massive value on the idea of being happy and everything being good and everything being wonderful. And I think to a, a greater or lesser extent, we, we're not even really sure what happiness is because yeah. we're chasing down a lot of things that might feel good in the moment, but I'm not sure that they're really actually happiness, right? Um, and then we're, we're coming up short, but you don't want anybody to know that you're coming up short, yeah. right? So you have to look happy and everything's amazing and you have to have mm -hmm. a smile and everything's mm -hmm. great, but like, but kind of it's not. And right. then because we can't discuss it, we can't get past it, mm -hmm. right? Or we can't figure out, well, what's, what's the real problem? Where am I, where am I feeling the lacking and how do I actually address it instead of just putting something on top of it? Like, you know, whatever it is, right. right? If, it's, if it's material possessions, if it's a better job, if it's, you know, like I'll, I'll solve all my problems by this external thing. Okay, we actually, eat, eating, whatever it is. People think that if they lose weight, they'll be happy. So like that's right. what my culture has sold them. Oh yes, a hundred percent. When I when I lose fifteen pounds, that is when I will deserve the love of my husband. Right. Uh, my I, then I'll deserve friends. Then when I look good, then and like, but at the end of the day, right? There are lots of very unhappy uh, thin people, and there are lots of very happy uh, not thin people, and all shades of in between because it's got nothing to do with the outside. It has everything to do with the inside, right? right? And you know, unfortunately, we think of happiness um, from being the outside in instead of the inside out. Right. And that's, that's just the wrong directionality. Right. And it's actually interesting. You were saying like, we have this high value on like positivity. And I remember for like a really long time thinking about this because like, I feel like maybe naturally, like I'm a more negative person. Like I just feel like I get down easier maybe it has to do with like my highly sensitive person or like I read the book awareness by Miriam Adahan I read like a lot of these like self-development books and I don't know okay. just, like, I've just been thinking I was thinking like I really wish I was more positive I really wish I was more positive like the world is I guess obsessed with being positive and I remember seeing um I don't know if you follow Rachel Tuckman but mm -hmm. she also that's how I heard of the highly sensitive person so I heard her talking about toxic positivity and I was like yes yes so that's what it is like I'm very like authentic and like true and like obviously like you can't always control your emotions like you should try to control the behaviors that come from your emotions but like sometimes like really deep people like they just have to like it's okay to be like really sad or it's okay that like things make you like question God or make you question like why this is happening to me instead of like we just have to have a Muna like no we're humans like we have to there's there's something to say about the struggle. Like there's something to say about 
Hashem doesn't like put us here to like torment us for no reason. Like, for sure not. It's supposed to hurt. Right. Um, we even see that um, when Yaakov Avinu makes his way back into Eretz Yisrael after, you know, Rachel died and he's all, like, he's not all alone, but he, you know, he lost his, his favorite wife and he comes in and, and I think that um, he uses the word Lagursham, like to live there. And there's, I want to say it's a Rashi, but I, I, I didn't prepare it, but I, I'm pretty sure it's a Rashi that talks about the idea that, that Yaakov, the concept of Lagursham is that he thought he was like, okay, like all my troubles are behind me. I've had a really hard life. And now I'm coming and I'm settling down and it's just, I'm done with the Tzuras. And then what happens? So we have Yosef and 22 years of like literal Agnes Nefesh that he doesn't know what his son is alive or dead or whatever. And it's, and, and this Rashi comes to teach us the idea that like, you don't ever get to just be like, okay, I, I passed that. Now it's like all coming up roses from here on out. Struggle yeah. and challenge is a part of life. Um, and that's hard but it's okay. I think we have really conditioned ourselves in this world in general to believe that easy is good and hard is bad. And therefore anything that you come up against that's hard, automatically your brain says, oh, this is bad. This right. is very, very bad. When it, it, and I'm not trying to say that, oh, if it's hard, no, it's great. It's good. It's amazing. But right. like, maybe it's not bad. Maybe it's just hard and hard can be painful, but some like, you know, um, any any mother who has ever you know given birth to a child and it doesn't have to be that what like epidural not epidural it doesn't make a difference if you got that epidural trust you felt something before you got yeah. it okay <laughs> we all know it, we all know all right and um it's one of the most painful experiences in life but it is arguably also one of the best mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. very difficult very hard very painful i'm not sure i would write it off as bad and then there are certain things in this world that are so easy they're so easy, but I don't know that they're good, right? right? And that's one of the reasons that when we, on, on Rosh Hashanah, we wish people Ashana Tova Umetuka. Like, why, why can't we just wish good? Why can't we just wish sweet? Because there are certain things that are good, but they're not sweet. And there are right. certain things that are sweet, they're not good, right. right? So we have to stop conflating the whole hard is bad and easy is good. Right. Sometimes easy is very bad. Sometimes hard is very good. And sometimes there's like this huge gray space in between where hard sometimes it's just hard right and like we may never we may never see the good in it right 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 and, uh to be able to live in that space is it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of work yeah actually i also talk about this a lot with my clients like um this is actually something i like talk about with my therapist a lot is like understanding that like we don't just some things we pick up by osmosis and some things we don't, right? So like human nature, the way that Hashem designed us is that like we will always take the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. So like if you've been doing that for like 20 years and now you want to make a change because you found that it's not fulfilling, like the way that I try to teach my clients is like failure equals data. Like because it's so it's so depressing the other way, like depressing in a bad way. Like like um yeah, like I wish I would would have done like that hard thing for the last 20 years because like look how much better it could have been like that was for sure my self-talk before I did all this like inner work and like if you could understand that like the the media or like the people around you were saying like if you just worked really hard at work like you would have a fulfilling life because you would be rich and now 20 years later you're like oh my god I just wasted 20 years because I'm not I don't feel happy I try to tell people this is more about like weight loss like I try to tell them like they're telling me like, wow, I've been on the diets for 20 years and I, now I hate myself and now I feel like I'm even heavier and now I feel like I can't even be in the room with food because I can't stop thinking about food and like, what's wrong with me? Why did I not think to like try intuitive eating? And I'm like, why do you think? Because like the world is telling you that dieting would make you feel happy. Like sometimes like experience is the best learning learning tool and like that's okay like even though it caused a lot of pain and even though it caused a lot of confusion and like it really is it does cause like anguish to have like that regret but like that I always say this like em like emotion is to get you into motion like how could you move now like don't get stuck in that like that yetahara of guilt like guilt mm -hmm. and pain like it's okay we all make mistakes like that's part of being human right and I think that um there's like a big difference of living for the moment and living in the moment. Um, and I think that living in the moment 
is very, very important because if we can focus on what do I have right now? What is this moment right now? So whatever I've been doing for the last 20 years, okay, it was 20 years ago, right now, what am I doing? Right now, what am I? And okay, I might be making a decision right now to try to have a better future, but that future isn't here, right? So I can't be making decisions now that are in the future. I need to be making decisions now for now. Right. So if I can somehow or another, not again, so like when we live for the moment, then this moment is the only thing that matters. And therefore, like we end up, can end up making a lot of really bad decisions because we're not thinking in any other direction. But if we can live in the moment where we accept, I accept the past, right? Like I get it, it happened, but now I have, a, I'm at a, a point where I can pivot and I can change because I'm in this moment. Right. And now where I turn in this moment is going to help set the direction of what my future is going to look like. So trying to live in the moment, I think is really important. And it's very hard for us. We're very, very, most people are either past or future oriented. Very few of us actually live um, in the moment. And I think like right now with, um, with Corona and everything, I think that that's part of, I know it's something that's causing a lot of people and I know anxiety that I'd be like, how much longer is this going to go? And oh my gosh, it's going to be until July. And oh my, I just heard that they said until this. And, that. and I'm like, okay, I hear that. And it is, it is daunting. But what do you have in front of you right now? We have the next set of 24 hours and the next set of 24 hours are going to need to have, you know, a little bit of schooling and maybe an outing, like, you know, to go outside in the backyard or to the park or whatever, whatever you're allowed to be. Right. Um, it's going to have breakfast and lunch and dinner and snacks. It's going to have, um, you know, puzzles and games and movies and whatever. Okay. So deal with what you have in front of you right now. And that will, that'll get you through to the next thing, right? Worrying about the next thing doesn't change the next thing. What you do here and now can possibly, right? And we only have control what we have, you know, we only have control over what we have control over. And it's very hard to let go of. It's very, very hard to let go of. But I think one of the reasons that I might be okay-er with the whole like loss of control is because I feel like I dealt with this and have been dealing with it for the last 10 years with my husband. Right. You know, you right. wake up one morning and you're like, oh, look at that. Life is like never going to be the same. Right. And you learn to, to see that like, Certain things are in control and certain things are not. And right. we deal with what we can. And, the, I, you know, like I have sort of taken on the mantra of I just do my best and I let God do the rest. Right. Actually, I, I heard Javi Garfinkel say that like when, when a Hebrew word um, means two different things and they're connected. So I remember her saying like tsar and sura. So tsar is pain and sura is shape. And like the things that are painful for us are often the things that like shape our future or shape us as people. And actually, um, like a year and a half ago, I, or a few, I don't remember when it was, but Yamima Mizrahi came to speak here in Woodmere to um, um, people who had lost children. And um, I think it was um, bereaving mothers for bereaving mothers. And I actually went to this year because I had just lost my mother, but I was, I, I didn't realize that it was, that it was for people who had lost children. But it, so it was like, she like it was at the have a farmman's house she would let me stay like she didn't say like I, I didn't realize I felt a little stupid but like I had really just lost my mother and like it was so comforting to be with other people who were like mourning and it was so powerful what she did like I'm gonna cry she asked every woman to go around the room and say who she who they had lost it was like literally the most like heart-wrenching thing to sit through and I remember like some women like they couldn't they couldn't get get through it and then I remember she turned the whole share around and she was saying like I'm sure there are women here that have made like pivotal changes in their life due to their loss. And she went around the room again and she said, like, what have you changed in your life due to your loss? And it was like, it was seriously one of the most like moving experiences I had ever like experienced because it was like these, these poor women, like they, like they, they, like they were broken really on, on, so, on so many levels, but they were also like so whole from like, taking that experience and like elevating it like it's so hard it's so hard but like it really does it changes you as a person a hundred percent a hundred percent and and i think that um i think really in the beginning when you're dealing with any kind of loss um it's 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 hard to process anything 
and it's hard to to try to deal with anything other than just those feelings in the beginning and that's like super normal and um and i i think people have to allow themselves that space and that place to really just be to really be sad and to really feel that loss and then in a certain stage in the game you're able to look at yourself in the mirror and say okay so now what right right Right. And when you come to that place of, okay, now what? Right. You can take the moment that you're in and say, what I'm going to choose to do now, how I'm going to choose to deal with this, the, the way I'm going to choose to carry myself, the way I'm going to choose to deal with life, the way I'm going to choose to deal with my kids, with my husband, with myself, with my whatever. Now that's going to shape the future, right? And I can bring things into that from, you know, like whether it's bringing, you know, honoring your mom or, or the child that you lost through, okay, I'm going to bring this forward into um, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I had the opportunity in Israel when I went on that first trip, we went to visit one family fund who works with, um, you know, victims of terror and their families. And we had really, it was an unbelievable experience. They were in the middle of putting out a cookbook written with recipes of mothers who had lost children in terrorist attacks. Mm. And they put their child's favorite recipe wow. in the book. And we had an opportunity to cook with these women. Wow. Okay, so they were, just, they were just in the middle of publishing it. And we, we, we cooked with these women the favorite recipe of the, their child that they had lost. And listening to them talk like... They were talking about their child, right? And how much they love them and, and everything they did with all these, all these different things. And then they were taking all of that and putting it forward into this book and putting it forward into this. Now you're going to remember my child because you're going to make whatever. I, I just remember making the kuba with one woman in particular. She was so cute. And, and, and I was like, now I'm going to remember you and I'm going to remember your son. Right. And, and she could have, um, she could have sat in her loss forever. And that would have actually been, I mean, totally understandable. Right. Right. She could have sat in her loss forever and it would have been completely and totally understandable. And somehow or another, she found the strength inside herself to say, um, okay, I'm going to take my loss and I'm going to do something with it. And, and, and I, I don't know how she found the strength, but she did. And I think that, that everybody um, who, who is able to do that, anybody who's able to, to move on from a big loss, it's a Herculean effort. And I really wholeheartedly applaud it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. I learned so much and I'm so inspired and like, I feel like I'm going to cry, but <sighs> Thank, thank you so much. I have so many great book recommendations now. I wrote yeah. down everything that you said. Well, you can see it on my blog if you want. I wrote, I wrote a blog post about this. Okay, excellent. I'm definitely going to check it out. Okay, great. Thank you so much. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs.